Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Uh, today, we have two um, great uh, panelists. Um, actually, uh, the person that we will be talking to is uh, Brett Copeland. Uh, Brett W. Copeland is an advocate for more than a decade in Washington, D.C. in politics. He's also a union activist and a former executive director of Veterans Centric NFP. That's a not-for-profit also, uh, today's discussion will be surrounded around veterans used to flock to rural communities, but has uh, farm life lost its appeal for American veterans? That's the question. Um, is the farmland being abandoned uh, by our veterans? And is there a need to start uh, looking at this and look at the things that happen around that? Why is that happening right now? So, Brett, how are you doing today? Well, Colonel Arnold, thank you for uh, letting me join the governor's airwaves again. It's an honor to be back here. Uh, doing well. And that is the big question. What, what can we do to get veterans back into agriculture? After World War II, there was a huge influx of veterans after they served um, overseas coming back to um, you know, the American heartland and going back to their farms and really uh, providing the food for not just uh, the United States, but for much of the world. Um, but as of 2017, the last time we did an ag census, there were 351,000 men and nearly 20,000 women who were both agricultural producers and U.S. veterans. Hmm. About 300,000 of them had spent more than 10 years on their farm, and they make up about 129 million farm acres. Now, those sound like pretty big numbers, but uh, since 1992, the population of um, just ag producers in America has dropped from 6.6 million to 3.2 million in 2018. Wow. So veterans are a large part of that. And where I lived and worked in Iowa uh, for a long time, we, we were in hog country. A lot of my neighbors raised hogs. Uh, there's 184,000 veterans in Iowa, 9,200 9, of them live in poverty, and 149 are homeless. Now, these are pretty old numbers because we haven't done an ag census uh, uh, since 2017. We're going to set to do one uh, here soon. So we won't know the real change that has happened over the last couple of years uh, for a while, but it's been hard to be a farmer. Uh, pork exports are, are lower this year uh, since 2011 uh, because of things like the trade war that happened during the Trump administration. And, of course, uh, we saw in the news all over the country where farmers were uh, essentially plowing in their crops during COVID because they couldn't get it moved through the supply chain. So there's a lot of challenges when it comes to just the way life is currently uh, for America's ag producers. You know, I think for years we've seen stories about, um, especially in the dairy industry, uh, with just the, the massive amounts of suicides of desperate dairy farmers. Mm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of... Uh, comparisons that we can do and the challenges that veterans face when it comes to mental health um, and the stresses they face uh, that ag producers do as well. Wow, that's a, that's a really uh, staggering numbers you just gave. And I had no idea that that was really um, 
going on to such an extent? It sounds like almost half of the uh, agricultural workers force uh, decreased from 6.6 to 3.2 million uh, by 2018. And from what you're saying right now, it sounds like that's not getting any better anytime soon right now, right? It's certainly not. And, you know, the farm bankruptcies just in the last year, uh, we have record levels of debt uh, within agricultural producers. It's the highest number of bankruptcies since 2011. Uh, we got about $416 billion in farm debt in 2019. That is a record high. Uh, that includes $257 billion in real estate debt and $159 billion in non-real estate debt. So it doesn't seem like there is a ton of incentive for people to get into agriculture. And at the same time, you've seen a real contraction of the way that farming is done. Family farms are pretty much non-existent anymore when it comes to kind of your your mom-and-pop operation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and part of that is because just land is so expensive these days. In 2017, it topped out about $10,000 per acre um, for about 80 to 200 acres purchase. Now it's averaging between seven dollars to $13,000 per acre. Now that's a ton of money if you are starting out on even just a modest farm. I know one of the veterans that I talked to in preparing for this story really wanted to get into agriculture, but she just could not scrape up enough money to even purchase a 20-acre farm. And there were no mm-hmm. programs at the state or federal level that could really give her that leg up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how, how, you know, how many acres do you need um, you know, to have a farm? Is, that, it's like, is 20 acres like approximately what the average farm size is? Well, you know, it really depends on kind of your motivation. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of um, kind of small-town farmers, they had kind of left the farm and uh, went and got jobs in town and then kind of did farming for, you know, their local farmers' markets or for fun on one to four acres. Um, but a lot of this consolidation that is happening at the corporate level is a lot of these farmers want to stay in business. So they're looking for a way to keep their operations running, and big hog operations, big meat processing plants, can provide a lot of that in so that they can stay on their land, but they're forcing farmers to absorb all of the risk, and um, if there's a loss, the farmers are going to be the ones who eat that rather than these corporate uh, meat packers. And in Iowa, uh, our confined animal uh, operations really predominate uh, family farms. In 2017, three-quarters of egg-laying hens in America were owned by just 320 farms. That's about 900,000 birds in annual inventory. And 95% of American hogs were raised at farms uh, that sold 5,000 hogs a year. Um, at that same time, independent farmers sold on average 43 hogs a year. So we're really talking about um, you know, David and Goliath, when it comes to producers really trying to compete in the marketplace and be successful. Uh, yeah, because, you know, you have different types of farms, I imagine, right? Um, you have mm-hmm. farms that are, you know, centered around uh, hogs and cattle and uh, meat processing. And then you also have farms that are centered around corn, uh, you know, uh, soybeans and grains. And, you know, also, you know, now there's a big movement towards fresh fruits and vegetables, trying to mm-hmm. get those into markets so that people can, uh, you know, um, uh, have those, have access to that. And I'm a big proponent for that, you know, for, for, for natural, arc, you know, farming and getting people into, uh, 
you know, getting uh, nutrients for their bodies. And many people mm-hmm. are, are really poorly nutritionalized, right? They don't <laughs> eat the, the way they really should be eating. And so well, now, so is that And that's the thing about living in rural Iowa. We have all this great farmland around us, but we are essentially living in a food desert. It's hard. I, I used to joke that we were the last uh, stop in uh, the grocery store's distribution chains because our, our fresh fruits and vegetables were gone bad in just a day or two. So access to those kinds of things and access to things like mental health and just health care in general, you know, my community was lucky enough to have a VA outpatient clinic, but the next one was 90 miles away for a full-blown medical center. And we were the only ones in our corner of northwest Iowa to have a VA uh, health center that close. Yeah, and and the needs in the agricultural realm. You know, I'm, my background is I'm uh, an internist, but also um, I did a residency in occupational and environmental medicine. And uh, one of the uh, areas where... Uh, you know, in farms, they really need that uh, support for the, med- the medical care. Uh, mm-hmm. It is uh, absolutely uh, something that uh, people need to uh, realize, and you really need to have federal support and making sure that people have access to the uh, proper medical care for our farmers. It, you know, if it, if it were not for them, we would not be able to eat. So, and farming is hard work, especially when you're dealing with hogs. Uh, <laughs> it is, you know, with veterans having so many co-occurring medical conditions, whether they were exposed to Agent Orange or exposed to burn pits, there's a lot of respiratory problems there. But they found that around these large uh, corporate hog confinement pens, uh, the communities around there have cancer rates that are almost 30% higher than non-rural settings. So there's a lot of dangerous stuff that goes into agriculture that if we're going to really want to encourage veterans to start farming, mm-hmm. we really need to take a look at that healthcare angle from it. But, you know, it's one study in North Carolina where there are also a lot of confinements found that there was lower life expectancy, higher rate of infant deaths, asthma, kidney disease, tuberculosis, and blood poisoning than those who lived further away. Um, dangerous levels of ammonia, you know, have been measured near massive hog sites in Iowa since the early 2000s. But there's really a lack of initiative uh, because so many farmers, you know, they do their jobs and so many veterans do their jobs and just get it done and don't complain very much. Uh, But it's really going to take us working together to raise the issues about how to, you know, not only make our farmers successful, but make sure that we are good stewards of the land and, you know, help them be good stewards of the land because that's what they want to do. That's where they get their bread, uh, and they want to do right by the land. But right now, corporations are really making that profit incentive so that uh, you trash the land, you trash the worker, uh, and you take the buck at the end of the day. Oh, that's horrible. Um, you know, and that's, 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 that's un-American to me as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it does not fit in with what we should be doing. And, you know, I, I'm kind of a nonpartisan guy. I don't, you know, uh, you know, like lean towards one political party or the other. I lean towards the one that's actually supporting people mm-hmm. a, at the time and what they're doing. So I had, you know, I, I, I made these terms up, you know, for the uh, DNC, you know, do uh, do nothing continuously. And then <laughs> for the GOP, I had gathering of psychopaths, you know. <laughs> so I have all of my different terms for them. But I'm hoping that, the you know, at this point they're waking up and learning how to work together and uh, making sure that they are 
uh, addressing the issues that are germane to the American people. Um, you know, I served as a uh, as a director of public health for Illinois State back in 2007 to 11, and one of the legislators asked me one day, you know, why is it that you know why did you uh, select taking this job? Because you're already in the military. You're you know, I was in the military for 26 years, and and I told him, I said it was for three words. And he said, three words, what are you talking about? I said, they're above your chamber, we the people. And mm-hmm. we have got to get back to the idea that it's the people that uh, you know select the legislators. It's the people that society is supposed to be supporting. And uh, whether it's corporate, you know, massive corporations or whatever, you are still support- – the only reason why you are existing is to support the people, and you have to do it in the right way. Well, and so far in agriculture and in my experience in working with veterans uh, and advocating for veterans on Capitol Hill, I think that it is a real bipartisan problem. You know, one of our Republican lawmakers in northwest Iowa, John Wills, he's he's one of the most uh, powerful Republicans in the Iowa Statehouse. And he claimed at one point that he was not aware who this um, corporate organization was, ALEC. He had no idea who they were, Mm -hmm. uh, and he was not taking any tips from them on how to write legislation. It didn't take long for us to find Mr. Wills listed on ALEC's website with his photo there. At the same time, um, Obama administration uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, who was also the governor of Iowa, Democrat, for a long time, and who is now the current uh, Secretary of Agriculture, um, has been witness to this corporate takeover of family farms and has seen and overseen a lot of the things that have driven that six million to three million drop in producers across the country. So if both parties are serious about not only taking care of farmers, but taking care of veterans and making sure that both can compete economically and live healthy, fulfilling lives, then something else needs to be done on the way that we're looking at agriculture and veterans issues. You know, there's lots of programs out there that claim to want to help veterans get into ag. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they're coming in, you know, kind of at a base level, who can afford half a million dollars and a little bit of land when you're competing, uh, when your neighbor is a big corporate uh, ag producer? There's, it's really hard to break into that market and compete. And as we saw over the you know 2020, uh, local food systems are critical if we want to continue to make our communities healthy and be prepared for emergencies like we found ourselves in this last year. So I you know I really have been encouraging lots of folks not to think about just not American made and manufacturing. That's that's important. But we also need to think about um, American-made when it comes to our food. Uh, we have great producers here in the United States, a lot of whom are veterans, uh, and we need to do more to support them. Yeah. So how, how you know? So let's say I'm a veteran and I want to get into the agricultural business. You know, where where should I go? How do I start uh, looking at that? And it's actually something that you know always. Uh, you know, if if I had uh, passed away, uh, you know, and I, I was reborn. One of my dreams was always to own a farm and to have horses and, you know, do those kinds of things. So, you know, is there a website? Is there a way that they can contact uh, your uh, organization and, and, and really talk about how they can get involved in this? 
So there's a lot of veteran uh, coalitions. If you just go on to like Google and search for um, USDA's veterans programs, there are a list of resources there. I found in my research that a lot of these websites kind of are defunct, um, haven't been touched since kind of the big initiatives rolled out in 2014 and 2017, but haven't been updated much. But a lot of that information will at least give you a start. You know, if you to be honest, it is hard to break into ag. You either got to have land already, you got to have a big investor, or you got to tie your you know, horse to somebody else's carriage. It is incredibly hard to start um, up in agriculture if you are starting from scratch, essentially, which shouldn't be how it is. Right. But you know, this is really a bipartisan problem, and I know Iowa's lawmakers at least have not gotten serious about how to solve this. Um, so many Rural communities, as those numbers I mentioned at the top have shown, are being emptied out. Um, and a lot of that is because these ag- smaller ag producers, these diversified farms, are disappearing. Wow, wow. So what is that doing to our market, you know, as far as getting, you know, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables to the table? And, you know, because, uh, you know, you have the uh, large agricultural groups out there, you know, the Monsantos of the world and that kind of thing. Um what is the impact on the local economies in these rural communities? Well, you know, we always talked about the, the farmers around a community really power that community. Um, you're seeing the same kind of corporate takeover when all those mom-and-pop shops are disappearing and kind of the Walmart and Dollar Generals come in. Um, and they are providing a service granted, but it's because all of those other folks uh, decided that they couldn't make it anymore, you know, selling goods and services at that kind of level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that same kind of corporate threat, corporate takeover, uh, that is keeping competition out of America's small towns. Uh, and that hurts, you know, a lot of folks. Yes, yes. And, and what about the, uh, you know, farmers markets? I see those around all the time now, you know, in the Chicagoland area um, and, and, and actually in, uh, you know, central southern Illinois, uh, that there are uh, a lot of those popping up. And it seems as though people are bringing food in from their farms, you know, to sell mm-hmm. it in an open market. And actually, you know, I, I love those markets. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I go and try to buy my food from them, my fresh fruits and vegetables from them. Well, farmers are super innovative, so they're always looking for a way to save a buck or make a buck, right, Uh, especially from the things they produce. Don't want anything to go to waste. So I know a lot of folks will have just stalls right off their farm or go into town and find some of those farmers markets and, um, you know, bring their produce there. It really depends on, I think, the community that they're in and the community's commitment to keeping agriculture alive. And you know, some, sometimes it works, and sometimes, um, you know, a lot of folks are struggling in rural America right now. Yes. And mm-hmm. unless they're all working together, you know, it's hard to overcome kind of that, just the reality of the economic landscape out there. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. You know, it shouldn't be this hard to get into farming, and we have a lot of great producers out there who are doing good work. Um, I think opening up more of those local markets, uh, not just kind of at a farmer's market level, but figuring out how we can get that little plot of uh, the farmer decided to take away from their main crop and just do fruits and vegetables on their on their land and helping that get into the local supply chain would be huge. Ah. 
Yeah, because you you also have other uh, groups now. I've seen more like in things like Whole Foods, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Trader Joe's, where they're allowing farmers to bring in and uh, you know set up vegetables and fruits and that kind of thing within their uh, sphere. You know, mm-hmm. so, so, so that's absolutely. It. And lawmakers could do you know huge things if they could help cut through some of that red tape, whether it's at the state level or the federal level, and making sure that these food co-ops can kind of get started. Well, how can people find out more about your organization, Rural America Veterans and Communities Matter? So I'm actually just kind of an independent uh, commentator at the moment. Um, this is just kind of all original research that I'm working on um, collecting. I know I would check out um, one of my friends is an incredible uh, rural and food writer, Austin Frerich, and he just has a new piece on Vox.com with Charlie Mitchell that details um, – Mm-hmm. the way that corporations have taken over the landscape in Iowa, especially when it comes to hog farming. Oh, fantastic. Okay, we're running out of time, so I'm going to bring in our executive producer. Uh, but thank you so much, uh, Brett. You have uh, really illuminated uh, my understanding of this whole issue about rural farming and why it's so important and why rural veterans you know, veteran should be staying within these rural communities. It's the, it's the heartland of our country. So uh, we have our executive producer, Glenda Smith, who is going to make an announcement. And Brett, thank (laughs) you, because your intelligence is so eclectic. And you and I have been working together on another project. So we are so happy to have you as a partner of America's Heroes Group on Rural America, because no one can do it like you. So thank you so much. Looking forward to your next show. Absolutely. Um, In regards to um, information and resources that's needed um, about affordable housing, social services, wellness care, please feel free to call America's Heroes Group at 312-803-2618. We're located at 155 North Wacker Drive, Suite 4250. Please allow me uh, and America's Heroes Group to apologize for the first hour we were having some major audio technicalities and so we finally got the system right so for the first show of um we build your credit lisa gave some phenomenal information and then the second hour tayback law um she did um a continuation of veterans refiling based on the past denial of your uh benefits so please go to our website www.americas with an s hd hg.org and download the podcast to listen to the first two shows that you couldn't hear through live Facebook. Great information. Absolutely great information. And so today we start a weekend of honoring and saluting past and present veteran men and women who have sacrificed their life for this country. What more can we say beyond thank you? Cause when you have not walked in their boots, that you don't realize what they've done for this country. So on behalf of myself, I personally say thank you to -hmm. them and their family members because you defend our Constitution. The reason why we have freedom like we have. (laughs) It's kind of eerie what's going on in Washington right now with the past January 6th episodes and how the elected officials of one side can't can't understand what this means to us to get an understanding of what happened so it can never happen again. Shame on you. And I mean it. Shame on you. So personally, I say thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah. So, Dr. Arnold? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was mentioning um, a little bit earlier, but, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I am kind of uh, I'm getting more and more into the uh, category of being nonpartisan. And I am, you know, it, 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 when, it, when something happens in our country, we have to get back to truth. Mm-hmm. We have to get back to the Constitution and the rights of our people and why we have to support them. And, you know, so, you know, I, I was looking at uh, DNC and I said, maybe that's do nothing continuously. Maybe GOP is gathering a psychopaths. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea exactly. of what people are thinking right now. Exactly. The, the legislators have to come together and build this nation. Support the president of the United States. If you are a military person, you should be supporting the president uh, bar nothing. And that is what we are as, you know, as a civilization. But I just want to mention two people who got the Congressional Medal of Honor. Private uh, Henry Johnson, who was uh, 369th Infantry, also known as Harlem Hellfighters in World War One, And Ru- uh, Reuben Rivers, who was up, up for, um, he got the Congressional Medal in World War Two. Uh, for the Black 761st uh, Tank Battalion, also known as Patton's Panthers. And then we have Melvin Morris, who's going forward for a Silver Star. He got a Silver Star. He's going forward for his um, Congressional Medal. We wish well. Uh, he was a Vietnam War medic. Absolutely. Uh, so we have uh, great heroes throughout this country. Absolutely. All, colors, Absolutely. all denominations. And, and we want to thank our technical producer, Art Gaza, for keeping it smooth. He's a smooth operator. And not to mention our, de- our new digital media producer, Tyree Middlebrooks. Oh my gosh, he's handling it. Hell, he's handling it behind the scenes. <laughs> Everyone, please have a safe and healthy Memorial Day weekend. Blessings to all. God bless everyone. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit America'sHG.org.